from Luke's account of the Last Supper. So if you'd like to follow uh, the reading, it's from Luke chapter 22. We're going to read the whole of uh, the chapter, but focus mainly on the Lord's Supper. Now the festival of unleavened bread, called the Passover, was approaching. And the chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for some way to get rid of Jesus, for they were afraid of the people. Then Satan entered Judas, called Iscariot, one of the twelve. And Judas went to the chief priests and the officers of the temple guard and discussed with them how he might betray Jesus. And they were delighted and agreed to give him money. He consented and watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over to them when no crowd was present. Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. And Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare it? they asked. He replied, As you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters. And say to the owner of the house, the teacher asks, Where is the guest room? Where I may eat the Passover with my disciples, he will show you a large room upstairs, all furnished. Make preparations there. And they found the things just as Jesus had told them, so they prepared the Passover. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. And after taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this, divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. The Son of Man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to the man who betrays him. They began to question among themselves which of them it might be who would do this. A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was considered the greatest. And Jesus said to them, The kings of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. Who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as the one who serves. You are those who have stood by me in my trials, and I confer on you a kingdom, just as my Father conferred one on me, so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, 
that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. But he replied, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. And Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the cock crows today, you will deny me three times. And Jesus asked them, when I sent you without a purse, bag or sandals, did you lack anything? Nothing, they answered. He said to them, but now if you have a purse, take it. And also a bag. And if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. It is written, he was numbered among the transgressors. And I tell you that this must be fulfilled in me. Yes, it is written about me. What is written about me is reaching its fulfillment. The disciples said, see, Lord, here are two swords. That's enough, he replied. Let's pray together. Lord, as we come to share communion together, we pray that by your Holy Spirit, you will remind us again how awesome this is. All that it means and all that it carries. We come once again in humble adoration of who you are and what you've done for each one of us. As we share together, looking at this passage and as we share together in bread and the cup, may you bring transformation to our lives. May we be brought nearer to you. May we be made more like you, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. I was driving to an appointment this week, and uh, as I do normally, when I drive past your house or your village or your town, I pray for you and pray for God's blessing upon you. And uh, as I drove past a place that uh, I knew well, because many years ago I used to go and pray with a guy who lived there. He hasn't been part of this church for many, many years. Uh, I just couldn't remember his name. I had one of those moments. It's my age. I'm think of it. And I just couldn't remember his. It was so annoying. I remembered his wife. I remember his children's names. I did pray for him. And then about three miles later, while I was thinking about something else completely different, bingo. Or that's not his name, by the way. His name's Bill. And suddenly I remembered his name. It's funny that, isn't it? How that happens. I wonder what helps you. Remember things. I don't know the technical things about the brain, but I know some people tie a knot in the handkerchief. Have you ever done that? No. It's old school. I suppose nowadays we, we have computer technology to help us. I don't, but if you've got an Echo or a, a Cortano, is that right? Alexa. I, it's the Google, Amazon, Microsoft things that you can have in your home and you can ask them to remind you of things. It's all a bit spooky to me. But. Or if you just repeat things. That's one of the things I do. I just keep repeating things. Or post-it notes. Anyone do post-it notes? I'm a great fan of post-it notes. I'll give you an example. That's the order of service and all the things I've got to remember. I always put them down on post-it notes, but it can go a bit too far. 
when Jesus wanted to give his followers a way of remembering, a way of understanding what was about to happen to him as he shared that last supper with his disciples, and as we, 2,000 years on or more, still do this, he gave us something to do. He gave us something to enact. It wasn't just a post-it note. He gave us a meal to share. And in a few minutes, we're going to share this simple meal with one another. I hope that you share it often. I hope that as a family, if you are a family, that you share communion together. I hope that you take this meal into your home. I hope when you gather with friends, you share communion together. It is not to be reserved for holy times when we gather as church. He shared this meal with his friends on the night that he was betrayed. Luke describes what happened on that evening as Passover approached. Of course, we know that Jesus was celebrating the Passover. That great festival where the people of God looked back and remembered how God delivered them out of slavery in Egypt and brought them out under his mighty hand and brought them out to freedom. To the promised land. That picture of salvation that was wrought by his power, his might. The blood of the lamb, if you remember. Jesus is about to give his life for the world. That whoever believes in him will not perish, but be saved And what they remember in the Passover of how God delivered his people then, he is doing for the whole world. They remembered how the powers of evil, when they'd done their worst, God acted to save his people, bring them out of bondage, out of slavery. And it's that picture of salvation that Jesus fulfills in his death and resurrection. And so Jesus comes as the Savior of the world. Through His blood that would be shed, the Lamb of God, rescue would be made possible. Rescue from sin, all our sin forgiven, wiped away. Rescued from death, death has no hold on those who belong to Jesus. Rescue from the slavery of a life that is not free. And as Luke describes what happens on that evening, he's aware of two fateful plans that are afoot. There is that plan of destruction. The first six verses tells us that the enemies of Jesus were looking to destroy him. They were planning and plotting to kill Jesus. They were afraid of the crowds, so they wanted to find Jesus on his own. And we are meant to be horrified by the words that Luke writes that Satan entered Judas. 
But we remember that even in that, Jesus is in control of these events. But Judas, one of the twelve, who had been with Jesus in his public ministry, he'd seen the miracles, he'd walked with Jesus, he'd heard Jesus. He'd helped train the other 72 who went out and came back rejoicing that even the demons submitted to their name. And for whatever reason, Luke just says, Satan entered Judas. A moment came when Judas traded Jesus in. A day came when Judas said, I'm not going to trust Jesus anymore. I know lots of theories have been put out that why Judas made that he was going to make Jesus act. He was going to. All we have in the scriptures is Jesus says, Woe to the one who betrays me. And that behind the betrayal and behind the plotting and behind. The plans to kill Jesus is Satan himself wanting to do away with Jesus. But in the midst of that, Luke weaves the plan of salvation and makes it very clear that Jesus is in control of events. Just in the practicalities of sharing the Passover in Jerusalem, he sends Peter and John out to make preparations, and they have a valid question. Where? Where are we going to make preparations? There would have been so many people packed into Jerusalem. They've not booked a table for 13 ahead of time. Have you ever had that moment when you've gone to a restaurant, you've realized it's a special day, it's like Mother's Day, Father's Day, and they say, have you booked? And you say, oh, no, I'm really sorry I haven't booked. And they said, we've got no room. And it was going through, you know, Peter and John's mind, we haven't booked. Where are we going to find a place? And Jesus just says, you walk into the city, you'll meet a guy jarring, carrying a jar of water. Just ask him where it's ready and uh, you'll be shown the place. Isn't Jesus amazing? I just love these tiny details about Jesus. How did he do that? When did he arrange that? And it's just as Jesus said it would be. And they make preparations. In verse 14, when the hour came, Jesus leads them and tells them that this will be his last meal with them. How heartbreaking for them. This is our last meal together. Judas is included in the meal. And to the Passover meal, that memorial, to that great deliverance, looking back, but it's also a meal that looks forward to a greater deliverance, one that comes through Jesus. He knows that what they're celebrating in the Passover is about him. He is the Lamb of God. That last judgment of God on Egypt was death. He'd given them opportunity and opportunity and opportunity and opportunity and they turned it down and the last is death that comes. And he says, if you sacrifice a lamb and put the blood on the doorposts, the angel will pass over you. And so it was. The blood of the lamb brought deliverance. 
And so it will be as Jesus prepares to go to the cross. Jesus says to them, he's been looking forward to sharing this meal with them. And in it, it explains what he's about to do. What it would mean. I remember the first time I ever took communion. It was the very night I gave my life to Jesus. And it was so, so special. I'd never shared in the bread and the cup before. And that night, although it was a process of coming to faith in Christ, that was when I made it public. I don't know how many countless times I've shared this meal since, but it is still special. Because here we are invited by Jesus to be part of him. And it reminds us how much he loves us and the cost that he gave his life for us. Passover meal would have come in four courses. We call it a meal sometimes. Yes, it's a tiny cup of uh, grape juice. It's a tiny piece of bread, but it's symbolic of all that Jesus did for us. Part of the third course would be the bread eaten with the Passover lamb and the bitter herbs. But Jesus takes that bread and he says, this is my body. Doesn't explain that. Doesn't say this is the theology behind what I've just said. He just says, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Then after the supper, he takes the cup. Luke is the only uh, gospel writer who mentions two cups, but he mentions two cups. But in the second cup, Jesus takes the cup and he says, this is the new covenant in my blood. That new agreement between heaven and earth by which this world will be saved. Do this in remembrance of me. And soon the powers of evil will do their worst. Jesus knows who will betray him. He's there and his hand is on the table with him. And within hours, Jesus will be led away, arrested, tortured, crucified. This is my body which is for you. This is my blood shed for forgiveness of sins. So in this meal, in this simple meal, as we remember, we're invited into that salvation by Jesus himself. We're invited to be part of him, part of his kingdom. And although the powers may rage around us, we know they have been defeated and the rescue is secure. When we share in this simple meal, we're back from wherever we may have wandered. Back to God's amazing grace. A place of encounter. It's what we need. 
were brought back to the very centerpiece of God's plan of salvation, the cross. And as we share in this meal, it affirms our relationship with Jesus. Times of testing come. Jesus even speaks to Simon, Peter, about this. I read it differently this week. When I've read that about Jesus saying to Simon, Satan's asked to sift you. I suddenly got reminded by the word all. He's asked to sift you all. Not just Simon. All of you. All of us. Our faith will be challenged. Our faith will be confronted. The enemy wants to tear us down. But what are these wonderful words from Jesus? I've prayed for you. Yeah, Peter had a failure of nerve. Judas had a failure of heart, though. He turned away from Jesus. Gave Jesus in. Gave Jesus up. In our struggles, we recognize the enemy at work. But when we come back and we share this meal, we're part of Christ. We have not given him up. We will not give him up. Whatever the enemy does, we will not give him up. The enemy is dumbfounded. He always is. The grace of Jesus confounds the enemy. So in this simple meal as we share, we acknowledge the presence of Jesus with us. We recall again how we came to receive such grace. His grace is amazing. Came across this story from the persecuted church this week. Afzal, a Pakistani Christian. He works as a brick kiln worker. And he got into debt. He had to borrow money from his employer to get medical treatment. He found himself in so much debt that he had to hand over his life, basically, as a bonded laborer. Then his wife had an accident. She could no longer make bricks with him. He had to take his 13-year-old daughter with him to work, to make the bricks. No hope of paying off the debt. A life of slavery. And through the generosity of the church, the worldwide church, supporting partners across the world, supporting believers like Afzal, his debt was paid off. And his family have been set free. That is a picture of what Jesus has done for us. Our debts have been paid. We had a debt we could never pay. A sin that separated us from God, but Jesus has paid it all and set us free. So that picture is our picture too. And as we come 
to share in this meal together, we remember the grace of God that has reached us. Jesus has given everything for us. And we are invited to come to the table. Come and share in the bread and the cup. When Jesus wanted to give us something to remember him by, he gave us something to do, something to share, something to take part in. And we're going to do that now. Let's pray together. Zach, if we could come back to the band.